things up today. There is no junior church, so kids, if you did not get the bulletin, please get one um, so you can have that candy today. Each generation believes they have the best music. Every generation thinks that their genre of music is the best. We're going to watch a video, okay? And in this video, we're going to have you clap if it's a song that you just really loved and it was part of your genre of music that you like. So if you know it, truly loved it, let us all know. But are you ready? Okay. Um, let us know by clapping. So let's watch this video. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. Put your flat bags up. Join me home.
You're insecure. Don't know what for. You're turning heads when you walk through the door. Don't need makeup to cover up. Being the way that you are is enough. Everyone else in the room can see it. Everyone else but you. Baby, you light up my world like nobody else. The way that you flip your head gets me
However, when it comes to music, many times we get the notion that our opinion of music, of what we think is best, is what God also prefers. Here's a few um, scriptures uh, that describe music in Psalm 135.3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Celebrate His lovely name with music. Scriptures tell us to celebrate with music. Second Chronicles 5.13 The trumpeters and the singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raise their voice and praise the Lord with these words, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Look at all the instruments that are in there. In that verse, used as a form to make music to aid, to help the people in worshiping God. And once this music, once this worship starts going, then, after the worship happens, then God fills that place. In Psalm 40, verse 3, He, meaning God, has given me a new song to sing. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what He has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. It says, God gave me a new song to sing. And the message of this, because of this new song that I will sing, other people will hear about God. They will put their trust into God. God has given us the gift of music. Unfortunately, Many times in the church, we use weapons, or we use music as a weapon. We all have our personal opinions. You just clapped on your opinion of music. Uh, my dad hated some of my music that I listened to. Hated it. Um, he'd come in and he took my speakers that were attached to my stereo because he didn't want to hear me playing opera. I'm not kidding. That's what I was playing, and he hated it. But it was my music that he could hear on the other side of the house. I've heard some people say that we should only sing one kind or, or one type of songs. We should only sing the old songs, the new songs they just repeat. There's 7-Eleven, seven words that you repeat 11 times. And, and, and they have this opinion on that. So I want to ask you, the song title's going to pop up. If you know it, sing along, but we're just going to sing a little bit of it. But can you guess the date these songs were written? Okay? Not when you learned about them, but when they were written. Okay? I don't know where you're starting, so. Okay. Now my vision was that written? Someone. 1860. Anyone else? 1750. So, no. Okay, this is when it was written. 700. 700, which is 1,322 years old. 
That's an old song. Okay? How about this one? Anyway, so when was that written? What did you say? Twelve. Who said that? You said that? Uh, you're going to get a candy bar today. 1225. 1225 makes it 797 years old. All right, how about some of you who have gray hair better know this one? Just give me the, where are we? God from whom all praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Louder, Father, Son, Okay, when was that written? <laughs> Gotta finish it, so, okay. When, what'd you say, Blaine? What? 1300. Any other guesses? What? 325? Okay. The answer is 1674. That is not that old. Okay, that makes it 348 years old, okay? So we're getting a little closer to some of you people in this room. All right. <laughs> Start. Okay, do you know this one? Sing it out. Oh. Okay, let's start for me. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailed. All right, that's enough. Okay, so when was a mighty fortress written? He was within 25 years, or, yeah, he was within 25 years. So anybody who's in 25 years will get a candy. What did you say? You get a candy bar. 1529. 1529 makes it 493 years. Okay, how about this one? Some of you better know this, okay? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Some of you don't know it.
Okay, so um, we're going to drop it down because some of you are very close. And if you're within two years, I'll give you a candy bar. And unfortunately, that's Jim Plattner. This one was 1971, and he said 72. One more right here, uh, or two more still. Okay, you don't know this one either. Okay. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands toward heaven and praise the Lord. Okay, that's not. I know you want to, but when was Let's Just Praise the Lord written? Last week. <laughs> What? 85? 97? 81? Got to be within two years on this one. You've already guessed. Okay. That one was written. Who? Who? What did you say? Was it Huck? Nineteen seventy-one. Huck said. It's seventy-two. So, just so you know, those last two, because he lives, and let's just praise the Lord, were written by a group that, you know, some of you have heard of. Yeah, Lanier's back there. Gaither! 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 Okay, how about this one? I, I don't know where you are. Yeah. Uh, here. How great. How's it going? How great. You're the music minister. Come on. He gave me this list of songs and goes, do you know these? And I said, I know about half of them. He goes, it'll be all right. <laughs> and then and then we didn't practice. <laughs> it is not my fault. <laughs> yeah, we didn't practice. I've got a different song in, our mind, in my mind. No. You said, what? 1993. Okay, sorry, y'all lose. Did you Google it? It's 1993. You, you guys see me afterwards for a candy bar. So, all right, that's it. We're doing it. Which one of those songs up there? Thank you, Dustin. Which one of those songs is good? All of them. Now, if you want to sing the old songs, you, let's just praise the Lord, um, is 52 years old. Compared to Be Thou My Vision, which is 1,322 years, that means we ain't singing Gaither stuff. Okay? Because in the terms of Christianity music for worship, Gaither isn't old. That's new. Some people don't want to sing the new songs. That means Gaither's out. We're going back to Gregorian chants. We're going back to old, old school stuff. So which one of these songs are good? All of them. 
Which one of these is bad? Now, which one did we do bad? If, look at Phil Wickham and, and listen to him. He, he does great on that. They're all, none of them are wrong. None of them are bad as long as the words bring glory to God and the person singing those songs means the words they are singing, then the song is good. That is the difference. It is the words, the meaning behind them that are written and how the person sings it. There was a youth minister I know, he took his, his uh, kids to this concert, the youth group to the concert, and three of the kids hated the style of music. Okay, it, it was like a w, uh, Michael W. Smith type thing. Um, and it was very mellow contemporary. And they disappeared from the concert. And so this youth minister found them out in the church band, head-banging to hardcore music. And he was mad. He was about to yell at them until he finally listened to the lyrics. Now this is head-banging. They're screaming the lyrics, right? And it was Amazing Grace. That's what the song was. Done in a way that he couldn't stand. But these kids were singing it. They were screaming it inside that band. They were worshiping. Is it bad? No. Because they were singing God-glorifying words and meaning it from their hearts. It's not the music genre. It's not the music style. It's the message of the heart. This year we're looking at David, who's going to help us with our theme. Who knows the theme? Pursue, thank you. Pursue a quest for a godly heart. Last week we saw David's anointing and how Saul, the obvious physical earthly choice for a king, while David is a heavenly choice. David is the only man in all Scripture who's called a man after God's own heart, and he was a man of music. Right in the middle of the Bible, you're going to find the largest book. The book of what? Psalms. Okay, all 150 of them, and more than half of them were written by David. His psalms were written in times of need. They were written in times of triumph, times of grief, and times of great joy. These psalms are an open door to the state of David's mind and his heart, and they come to us through music. Now, after Samuel gets a, um, anoints David with the oil, indicating that he is the next king, that God has chosen him, we're going to read something very disturbing about King Saul. It says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, The Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with great or with depression and fear. We need to stop and just look at this verse for a moment, okay? Before we talk about what's going on here, I think it's important we notice that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, departed Saul before an evil spirit came. It's also important for us to understand the indwelling of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that comes into Christians is different than this dwelling of the Spirit, in the Old Testament, before the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the Spirit of God never really permanently dwelt within His people. He would come onto people for in the Old Testament times. It was common for the Spirit of God to come for a temporary period. 
and then he would withdraw a bit. Now, that wasn't saying it always took his favor, but he would pour on his spirit. The prophets would prophesy, or the, the king was anointed and the spirit of God came. But it wasn't an indwelling like we have today. At Pentecost, and from that time on, when the Holy Spirit came into a believer, the believing sinner, upon their baptism and their confession and, and repentance, Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A sealing me. There's that Tupperware, and when you push it down, it makes a weird sound, right? And what's that mean? It's closed. It's sealed. And now no longer can the stuff inside it escape or things come in. And that's what this means. You are sealed. It is something that is meant to be permanent as long as you keep your life focused on Christ. That spirit's going to be in you. First Corinthians 6.19, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. We who are Christians have the Holy Spirit living within us. And He dwells within us as long as He is welcome, meaning we're walking with God, we're focusing on God. But that's what is happening here in 1 Samuel 16, centuries before Pentecost. We should not be surprised to read that as the Spirit of God departs from Saul, a vacuum happens, and an evil spirit, which God allows, comes in and torments him. This is where it's hard. It says... Um, it says that God sent the Spirit. So does God send bad things? Well, if He sends bad things, then He's not a good God. And so what does this actually mean? It, it, it should be, it's not that He sent it, it's He gave permission for this to happen. I, I think it is God really saying, Saul, you haven't taken me seriously. Here is a lesson I'm going to allow you to go through. The Hebrew word used here for torment means to fall upon, to startle, or overwhelm. Old Testament scholars say that this evil spirit that came was not an inward feeling of depression. Saul wasn't just bummed out, okay, um, because God rejected him. The evil spirit took possession of Saul. It deprived him of his peace of mind. It stirred up feelings, ideas, imaginations that were actually evil and drove him into madness. And this evil spirit coming from God is an allowed punishment when the Spirit of God lets all that vacuum. How do we know that it's not that God sent it, but more allowed it? We need to look at the book of Job. In Job 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, The Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And Satan replied, Yes, but Job has reasons to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out, take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And here's where we know it's not sent to him, but allowed. God says, all right, you may test, you may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the presence of the Lord's presence. Satan had to get permission before attacking Job. He was prevented. And perhaps that's what's happening here with Saul. When God removes the Holy Spirit, say, hey, hey, can I have dibs on him now? You have protected him, but now let me at him. And God allows these things, this negativity, these evil forces to come in. When the Holy Spirit left Saul, 
After that, he went into rage tantrums. Not temper tantrums, rage tantrums. He went into great fits of depression. And, and think about that. The Spirit of God left him, and he went into this deep, deep, dark, evil place. And maybe that's why um, David wrote Psalm 51. In verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Because David saw firsthand what happens when somebody rejects God and the Holy Spirit's taken away and they are embraced into that vacuum of evil. Saul's emotional state was so visible to those around him that the servants realized they, he needs help. And starting in verse 15, some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you'll be well again. All right, said Saul. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. Earliest archaeological records, carvings, and inscriptions show that the ancient people believed that music would help soothe passions, that they would help mental diseases, and even held riots back in check that would calm people. Where did they get this notion that music was a powerful force if it wasn't given to us in the beginning from God? Uh, I think it's very interesting how God uses this belief to provide the link needed between David and Saul, which will bring David into the opportunity to become the king. Someone happens, just happens to hear that Saul is depressed. They can see that. And they just happen to know that there is a kid who can play the music super well. I know a guy who can do that, and his name is David. Verse 18. One servant said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, man of war, and he's good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man. And the Lord is with him. <clears throat> That right there, I'd love that to be on my resume. I really would. To have that described of me. He is a skilled musician. Obviously, I just failed at that with Dustin. Uh, a man of valor. He's a warrior. He controls his tongue. He's handsome. And the Lord is with him. The important thing this says to me is that we should never discount anything in your past. Because at any time, somebody could say these things about you. When we are living for Christ, when we have a heart, a life that is on mission for Him, those traits could be said of us. And notice that in that whole list, it just came pointed down. And the Lord is with Him. We never know when something like that is going to happen. Um, that's precisely what happened to David. There he was, plucking away on his harp in the fields of Judea, watching over his sheep. He had never met Saul, and yet here he is to become Saul's replacement. And God works out a way to bring them together. And what is it that brought King Saul and David together? Music. Music did this. In verse 19, so Saul sent a message to Jesse, send me your son David the shepherd. Jesse responds by sending David to Saul along with a young goat and donkey loaded with bread and wineskin full of wine. I don't know if Jesse had concerns about releasing David to Saul. 
Jesse knows my son David is going to be the next king. Saul doesn't know who the next king is. Send me your son David. Oh, no, he found out. So we're going to tease him with this stuff, loaded him down with gifts. David didn't know he was going to enter boot camp, though. In verse 21, it starts out, So David went to Saul and began serving him. As far as we can tell, when David walked into the king's presence, Saul didn't know who David was, that he's a successor. And I don't think David went, Hey, it's nice to meet you. You have my job. That's my chair. I don't think David did that. Um, He wasn't presumptuous like that because... What is David? He's a man after God's own heart who isn't going to be presumptuous and rude and condescending like that. David had come for one purpose, to minister to the king because of the torment, the anger, the rage, and the depression. Go on with verse 21. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, Please let David remain in my service. For I am pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. I find that, this section right here, a beautiful thing. Saul is on his bed or pacing in his uh, bedchamber or even in the throne room. And he's, he's being driven into madness and rage and depression. And then all of a sudden this young boy comes in and starts singing and playing music. And it started easing up. Maybe some of the hymns, the psalms that David is later going to write, he's singing. Maybe even Saul remembers that faith he had in God and he starts singing with him. David's music was effective uh, effective towards this. The word is that he refreshed Saul. The Hebrew word translating refresh or relief means to, to be wide, spacious, giving space to give relief. It was... He was able to relax. This right here is where Saul experienced what every mother wants. Some peace and quiet, mentally and spiritually. Mofat translated this way. He played for Saul till Saul breathed freely. God had his hand on this young man, David, whose music would not just fill the heart of this depressed king, but it would overwhelm the blackness in his, in his life, which would then pour out into the written word, the scriptures, the Bible that we hold today. And as a result of this, Saul began to love this young man brought him, that brought him relief. And Saul said to David's father, your son is a keeper. Please allow me to just keep him. And he, he elevated him, gave him bigger jobs. God brought relief to Saul through music. Whenever there's a funeral, what is it that most people want done at the funeral? They want some sort of song, something that touches them, that reminds them of the person that brings comfort and encouragement. Why is it at candlelight vigils when there's some sort of an accident or somebody's um, really close to deathbed and everybody comes in and they're, they're doing this candlelight vigil and they're holding these candles and then they start singing. We experienced Christmas Eve service. And it was kind of elegant and simple with just the candlelights and then we start singing and the, the musicians started playing a little less and your voices got louder. And it's not that people are saying, man, Dustin played well on guitar. It was, 
the way we felt when we sang the music. How does music minister to us? Martin Luther believed uh, that the Reformation was not complete until the saints of God had two things in their possession, a Bible and a hymnal, or a psalter as he called it. He believed they needed the word that would lead them into a deeper understanding of God and a companion of volume to help them express the love and the joy of their faith done in song. Luther then said, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. Because in his mind, all music is a gift from God, meant to honor God. I don't think we can have genuine worship without those two elements blending together. The preaching of the word and the expression of our faith in melody that flows from our, our hearts and voices and song. <clears throat> God certainly casts his own vote in favor of music. He does. Long before there was humankind, long before he created the garden or voiced the humankind on earth, there was singing. In, in the book of Job, we hear God questioning Job about what he knows of the early days before creation. In chapter 38, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its destinations and stretched out its surveying line? What supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Just imagine Creation is what God's talking about. This, <clears throat> the morning stars and the angels are singing together in a triumphant victory joy to God. What about after this world is over? When finally we're all in heaven, when we and the angels will be, what will we be doing around the throne room? I, I've heard so many people say sitting on a, a cloud playing a harp is boring. I agree. But look what it says. When I looked again, I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And this worship scene in heaven, it says that they continually do this day in and day night. There are some people who hate repeating songs. Well, in heaven, they repeat to infinity. And God likes it. He puts his favor on that. So don't you think that since there was singing in the heavens before creation, there's going to be singing in the throne room after this world is finished, that there should be a lot of singing from his people on this earth. Until we join him there. Don't you find it interesting that the longest book in the Bible is a song book? I've heard people say, well, I just don't like singing. Well, we're not singing for you. It's not about us. We sing because of who he is. In the preface of his book, The Treasury of David, Charles Spurgeon said this, the delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profits and ever-growing pleasure. He later called the Psalms the peerless book. It was a way that you could see into the heart of heaven, which is God. G. Campbell Morgan said the Psalms, the book of Psalms is the book in which the emotions of the human soul find expression. Whatever your mood, 
And I suppose you have changing moods as well as I do. I can find you a psalm that will help you express it. Are you glad? I can find you a psalm to sing. Are you sad? I can find you a psalm that will suit the occasion. The psalms range over the whole gamut of human emotions. I think that's supposed to be say gauntlet. And they were written for us in the consciousness of and in the presence of God. In every one of these psalms, from the first to the last, whatever the particular tone, whether major or minor, the singer is conscious of God. That gives a peculiar character to the book of psalms. What he's saying there is, whatever our human emotion is, whatever we're going through mentally, physically, spiritually, there is a psalm there to help us worship out, to sing out, that will help us connect to God in that moment. David cries out in his deepest fears, Why haven't you abandoned me? Don't let these enemies come. But yet I will trust in you. And it's a psalm. Why is it that the world has turned its back on me? Or other times, you, O oh God, are the victory. May your love endure forever. And he goes on saying that. The Psalms aren't easy. They're not. There are a few that are very popular that we benefit. Psalms uh, 1, 23, 91, 100, and parts of 119. But for the most part, the rest of the Psalms take time and effort to sing them. Uh, one of the reasons why we had trouble singing that song is... We didn't really know it that well. I think you guys could tell, okay? We're not going to be able to sing these songs about God, these songs, unless we know them and connect with them. That means they're music for the mature in faith. Those who want to mature should spend more time in the psalms with the mind and heart engaged towards God. Um, I don't think I can overemphasize the importance of music in our spiritual lives. I used to listen to opera, like I said, classical um, composers, all the way to hard rock. I don't like rap. That's a personal opinion. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just I, I don't prefer it. I don't like bluegrass. I don't, and I don't like gaithers. But those are my personal choices. And yet other people can listen to that and they get that same sense. You get, like for Christmas, I love hearing the Oak Ridge Christmas CD. It's what I grew up listening to and so it automatically connects me to my childhood. And, and hearing those songs and, I, and loving that. I remember going to see Pirates of Penzance and the, the music in that or Phantom of the Opera and how it engaged in me and it just drew me out. Music has a gift of that. I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of music in our spiritual lives, personally, privately, publicly, and corporately as a church. Paul teaches us some very important truths about this subject. In other passages, look what he says to the Ephesians in 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, yeah, we know that part. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to, to our God and Father. Speak to each other. Wait a minute. We're supposed to sing songs to God, right? But he just said... Speak to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart. He also wrote in Colossians 3.16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through 
psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. In these two passages, we see something greatly important about our spiritual activity. And singing is in all of it. Music is a form of communication where we sing, we speak, we connect with one another. Where we teach and where we even admonish, reprimand. When we sing, it is for each other. Now, some of you have a voice that isn't as pleasant as like Dustin or, or the other people on the praise team. But he didn't sing, say, sing on key. He said, sing to teach and connect. It is to be done with thanksgiving. We sing in order to praise God. Absolutely. None of us are going to disagree with that. But as our melody is broadcast in the heaven where God is always receiving, it means that we are also connecting to one another. One of my favorite times in any worship service, uh, you can just hear, and Dustin's even talked about this, how the, the voices of the people start overpowering the instruments. And at times he's even backed off of playing it and even backed off the microphone so that you guys are the ones who are singing. And that's when there is a sense of connectedness. There is a sense of power. There is a sense of spirit moving within us. And it had nothing to do with them on stage. It had everything to do with you guys connecting with God and with each other through song. When we allow God-honoring music to come out of our mouths, God is glorified and people are impacted. And that's just the truth of it. Many people struggle with singing worship because they don't consider themselves to be good singers. And earthly standing, some of you are right. Okay? That's just what it is. You're not good according to earthly standards, but that doesn't matter. We are not auditioning for American Idol. Okay? We're not. We're making melody in our hearts to the Lord, no matter what it sounds like here. So never mind how good or bad you think you sound. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing loud enough to drown out the self-defeating thoughts that are sometimes roaring for your attention. I I'm going to tell you this. The more you sing out in authentic worship from your heart and mind and into voice, Satan has a harder time getting your attention. He just does. Because you are connecting with each other as we are singing songs to God, which is all pointing to God, and Satan has to flee. So why not sing out? There are a few times we have somebody in this room who sings out really loud, and he's about this tall, not always on key, and not saying the words in the proper time. And you know what it does? Every one of you who knows it is, just loves it. You're just excited about it. And it fills you, and it actually excites you to sing even more. And if one little boy can do that, imagine if all of us did that. Forget what you sound like. Focus on who he is and sing it right. Some people like fast songs when it comes to worship. You, you really like those fast, upbeat songs, and, and they get your heartbeat going. Some of you really like those slow heartfelt songs. None of us like all the same thing in worship, except for God. And so it doesn't matter on the style. The kind of music you prefer is your opinion and not a fact. And since we all have different opinions, we need to be 
flexible. Okay? Um, keep in mind that the very songs or songs that you dislike could be someone's favorite. And keep in mind today's old music was somebody's new music. So next time you say, well, those old songs, um, are you talking about the Gaithers? Because I'm older than them. The songs, not the people. Or are you talking about centuries old? Which all shows that as we are growing and evolving as a church to being stronger and more faithful, new songs, which Scripture says, along with old, need to come together. Today's classical music was yesterday's contemporary. Do you remember or know that there was a time when the piano was outlawed in churches because it was a heathen instrument used in the carousing of bars? we got one right here. Do you know that when drums were added, there was a whole slew of accusations that we have now allowed the devil into our worship because of those satanic beats? we got one right there. And let alone this honky-tonk instrument. And yet... There's a thing called the Internet. Some of you may not like it, but it's out there, right? And when I was younger and the Internet was still pretty new, um, I had my grandpa tell me there is nothing good on the Internet. It's nothing but laziness, pornography, and bad things. And he hated it. kept preaching against it. I'm like, Grandpa, there are a lot of good things on the Internet. He hated it. Never going to have it in his home. A year later, we came over for... Easter. There was a computer in the in his um, kitchen. I go, what's that? He goes, oh, I can pull up and see the daily prices of corn now. The internet's pretty good now. When we take something that's an instrument, computer, keyboard, and use it for evil, it doesn't mean the instrument's evil. It means our intent is. We can take that same instrument, whether it's symbols or even a cowbell, and bring God-glorifying music to God. We need to be gracious to each other when it comes to musical preferences. How many of you love Amazing Grace? The classic way. Yeah, right. How many of you like My Chains Are Gone, which is the newer version of Amazing Grace? It's got a new chorus. Yeah. I prefer that one over the old. I do. I think it's better. How many of you would love to hear that hardcore, screaming rock music of Amazing Grace? Yeah, some of you I want to hear that. Some of you are like, it's an abomination. <laughs> Let me say something that's kind of a shock, okay? God does not favor one style of song over the other. The style. God does not prefer new or old songs. Scripture says God desires people that worship Him in truth. With their heart and with mind. Whether it's a Gregorian chant, century-old hymns, the Gaithers, praise teams, or worship rock bands, they all can bring glory and honor to God when the person making the music is worshiping in heart and in mind, focused on God. Let me give you a few suggestions that are going to help us enhance our spiritual life when it comes to music. First and foremost, concentrate on the words. 
the words that you are singing, not the style of music. That, that's the first one. It should be popping up. Is it not there? Concentrate on the words. The best spiritual songs have incredible, powerful words. I heard one guy just blasting some of the new songs that he was saying, and then it was brought out and said, well, that actually word for word from Psalms. So you must not like Scripture. It's the style. So concentrate on the words. Some of these songs are really Scripture. And these songs, they can give voice to our deepest longings, our, our hurts, and also our victories. But we already mentioned the words allow us to express our faith and to teach and help one another. We must let our minds, we must not let our minds go into neutral while we sing songs. We have to be intentional with this. Secondly, engage your heart and mind. The meaning of these songs should often just prompt strong emotions. How can we sing amazing grace and not be overwhelmed by the amazingness, the grace that I don't deserve? And He freely, overwhelmingly pours that on us. How can we sing when peace like a river and not be moved for all that Christ has done for us. And the fact of the matter, no matter what we sing, I can keep going on about all these songs, but when we engage our heart and our mind in them, singing should promote and prompt strong emotions. So let those tears flow. Let the joy and smiles, the nodding of heads and uh, the raising of hands, let your emotions come out as you concentrate on the words and engage your mind and heart. And finally... I would suggest we sing as much as possible. We should carry a song with us in our hearts and our minds every day, all day. We should participate in singing wherever you go. Do you know why this instrument was brought into the church? Because people were singing with it in the bars, and they said, let's start getting them to sing right songs, the right words. That's interesting. It is it's a good tool to get people engaged. There have been times when I've been singing at Lake James Christian Camp, around the campfire, or even at the chapel, when I could have just gone on singing, just kept singing. When I went to Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, I heard over 15,000 people singing Amazing Grace, and I could feel it in my bones. When I was at CIY in Anderson and heard over 2,000 teens singing and shouting so loud that the balcony was actually rumbling. And I, I didn't want to stop. When they were singing, you came from heaven to earth to show me the way. Tears actually filled my eyes. I would say that there has never been in a time where I have gathered with Christians to sing and I haven't been blessed. Singing spiritual songs does so much for our hearts, our souls. So with that, I need to say this. I appreciate you, Dustin. I appreciate what you do to help get us in the mindset, in the heart set, to worship songs, to, uh, to lead us, to pick those songs. And um, Nate, Alec, Brady, Haley, Brennan, um, Jen, and we have a couple new people joining the team 
They're giving up time and talents just to help lead us and get us prepared for that. They spend a lot of time carefully preparing to help us worship God, choosing the right songs. And there is a lot going into it. They don't just open a book and say, oh, this one. Well, maybe he does that every now and then. But uh, he purposely thinks, I'll tell you this. He'll come into my office. He goes, okay, what is your purpose? What is your message of your sermon? And then he leaves to go find a song that will emphasize the Word of God and join our hearts and minds into that. So I really appreciate you, all of you. Thank you. You guys are an instrument from God to us. Do you guys agree? Beyond all that, there is a challenge of leading a congregation into worship of our holy God. That is a responsibility, one that is thankless and argued a lot. There are times we didn't see enough of this. We should have done it this way. I wish we could do this. I'm sorry for that, guys. It's a lot of, it's like we're toddlers asking for our way. Add to the challenge of learning the music, the nervousness of getting on stage, making a voice cooperate. I mean, you hear my voice is kind of scratchy today. Why do they do it? Why do they get up and do it and stand in front of people and help us lead into worship? Because we need them to do it, and it is a way that God has given them the gift so that we can join together in worship. They feel called to minister in that. They don't do it to draw attention to themselves. Why not let them know from time to time, not just like we did now, but actually go up to them and thank them. Music does something to us. That God designed us this way. That's why there are so many different styles of music, because it, it influxes into our souls and our hearts and minds, and it stirs us. God designed us to allow our hearts and mind to join in this to actually help us enhance our meditation on God. Soft music for our hard hearts. That's what David provided for Saul. And that's what we need. Soul music about Christ our Savior. How do you personally feel about music? These questions are going to be up on the screen, and after I ask them, we're going to go into a time of prayer. So as we look at these and listen to these questions, I want you to really answer them to yourself and answer them to God. Do you see music as a gift from God, or is it something you see menial in part of the world? Ah, it's just the time of worship. Or is that the intimate time that you get to connect with the creator of the world? Are you using the gift of music to bring glory and honor to God? Or do you misuse music for just your own pleasure? Do you allow your mind and your heart to focus on God during those times of corporate worship? Or do you mentally check out or even just go on emotions alone and you don't engage the mind as well? How we come to the sense of using music for God, I think, really reflects on how we feel about God. I don't care what songs we sing, what style. Just make sure they focus on God. There are songs that Dustin does not pick because, you know what, they really don't honor God. They honor something else, an idea or a country or or a way of life. They don't honor God. And so, you know what, he doesn't pick them. Because this is a time to honor 
shouldn't we, if we're believers, take whatever instrument, whether it's an old-time instrument or a contemporary, whether it's a fast or a slow, we use that as an instrument to lift our voices, our hearts, and our minds to praise God. Without Him, without God, you'd be going to hell. I'd be going to hell. I have a home in heaven, which is something to sing about. So how do you view music? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of music. It is so important. It is so huge. It is so impactful. So thank you. But God, we need to right now apologize. Repent. For too long we have taken our personal wants, our personal desires, and used them as weapons or even had the audacity to proclaim that our ideas are what you want. So forgive us of those, God, and lead us into the real heart of worship. Bring us to our knees. Stir our hearts. Fill our mind, God. And as we use these instruments, our voices, these, these songs, Let them be a triumphant victory of who you are. Let them be a a battle cry of what this church is supposed to do. Let this be a message to the world that upon you, we will not move. With you, we have victory. And through this, we will lift our voices. Because you, God, are awesome, you are mighty, and you are worthy. Come into a time of worshiping you even further, God. I ask that you help us. And if we need to make a decision, God, stir our hearts that we would step out and, and come express that change, that the decision that you have prompted in us. And help us now as this church to engage in worship in a new way so that we can be on that pursuit of a godly heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand.